I've got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And on this episode, our guest is Stephanie Atkinson, an Army veteran and war resister who now works with nonprofits Veterans for Peace and Courage to Resist to bring the truth about military recruitment to heavily recruited high school students. For the cost of a t-shirt that says Army, um, you know, you've got a kid's name and address and phone number uh, and email and can just start developing sort of a relationship with them. Um, We try to be there to say, hey, this is not what you think it is. But first, if you like what you've been hearing on What the Folk and you are interested in supporting us, all you have to do is give us a five-star rating wherever you listen because we don't have a Patreon yet. Sure, you can send us your money. You can PayPal us, whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. And you can tell all your friends about us. That would be super helpful. Now to get this conversation with Stephanie kicked off, here is a song I wrote, which also shares a title with my book called If You Ain't Cheatin', You Ain't Tryin'. When I was a younger girl, I thought I'd go explore. So I signed up for the army and I went away to war. Before they shipped me off, though they had to train me right. They offered me their best advice so I'd be fit to fight. They said, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's what the army pounded into my mind. Keep your head down low, don't volunteer to go nowhere. Cheat the system and you'll beat it every time. I thought it sounded funny, but I gave it a try. When they asked an honest question, I responded with a lie. I never raised my hand when they asked for a volunteer, and somehow I made it through. For six god-awful years I knew If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying That's what the army pounded into my mind Keep your head down low, don't volunteer to go nowhere Cheat the system and you'll beat it every time Because we all know that in this life not everything makes sense If something isn't right, that doesn't mean it's wrong. You never have to choose only one side of the fence. Just keep a smile on your face and try to play along. And if you join the army, leave your morals at the door. Never try to figure out just what you are fighting for. Your brain won't get you nothing but a kick in the pants. When you're working for the man, you've got to do the dance. And if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's what the army pounded into my mind. Keep your head down low, don't volunteer to go nowhere. Cheat the system and you'll beat it every time. Cheat the 
system and you'll beat it every time. Cheat the system and you'll beat it every time. Sarah is um, being a really, really flexible human being here because I was just like, hey, my friend Stephanie should come on the podcast and you've never met her and you don't really know anything about her. But, like, you want to talk? And she's like, yeah. So, what the folk fam? Stephanie is one of my veteran friends and um, has a really, a really interesting story of um, military experience. And I wanted her to, uh, to come on and talk about it because it's kind of different from the typical military experience that you hear about. It happened during a time that most people don't really think about in in U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, foreign policy history, and uh, and I think that it's it's a really important story um, for people to hear and know because uh, the the military doesn't like to glorify war resistors. It turns out or reward them, and uh, because they tend to be impactful in their communities and worlds. <laughs> <laughs> against the military. So, um, yeah. So without further ado, um, I would like to, uh, I would like to officially introduce Sarah Baranowskis and Stephanie Atkinson. Pleasure. Uh, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> you um, oh yeah. And I guess I could continue the sentence there and, and, uh, and welcome you to what the folk Stephanie. And I, I give you, I gave you a little warning on the, on our first kickoff question. So, um, but now you're on the record. Okay. How's your apocalypse going? My apocalypse is on one side, delicious and happy in that sort of, if I just want to be like a white girl privileged, I could just jump now, right? And just be like super comfortable because sort of I've reached this peak in my age where uh, I'm set, right? So why should I give two winks about anything? Well, it turns out I care deeply about everything right now. And I have to tell you, my apocalypse is everything that I was afraid of in the 80s and early 90s. Like people, like I tell younger people, younger than myself it's not just a personal problem it really is worse than what it was before and we didn't we couldn't anticipate how bad it would be so it's kind of like a nightmare has come true um so that's how my apocalypse is going like I remember thinking that Roe v. Wade would always be with us like that that would be a non-negotiable actually I feel like personally my theory is that I'm living in simultaneous Margaret Atwood novels. Like they're running concurrently. It's like I'm in Oryx and Crake. I'm in The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and then throw some other dystopian stuff in there. Fahrenheit 451. I mean, it's not just, yeah. Yeah. Things are dystopic, dystopian and weird and, um, Everybody's spidey senses should be tingling. If they're not, then mm, something's wrong. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> That's a great answer. All, all the dystopian <laughs> timelines. 
I hope we at least yeah. get the Blade Runner timeline because it had the best fashion, in my opinion. And oh, you know what? I saw that movie in the theater when I was 15. I was kind of unshepherded and I was dating somebody I shouldn't have been dating, like who was 23. So that's that's a huge disparity when you're that young. And we'd gone to see two films in this theater. The other one was E.T., um, and E.T.'s good, right? Everybody likes E.T., but then we went and saw Blade Runner, and he was just like, I didn't like that, and I just knew in my gut right then that that person was just not a good person to be with. Like, gut check level, like, if you're not responding to this, um, I mean, everybody responds to E.T. It's easy, but anyway, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I'm on all these, like, cultural references, but that kind of feels like, yeah, Blade Runner definitely, like, um a movie about environmental destruction, the privileged uh, few, <clears throat> uh, artificial intelligence, um, people making decisions about, you know, being conscious, being conscientious, paying attention to other, what's human, what defines human, you know, um, uh, we also, like, we need to look in the mirror, right? Who are we ultimately? What when we, yeah, decisions about killing, decisions about life, about experience. Um, yeah. Woo, what a good one. Yeah, and and I've also, you know, I just watched Sean Young's wardrobe from it, so. Yeah, my, gorgeous. My, my whole thing is the apocalypse would make it fashion forward, you know. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if we're having a shitty time. We don't need to look like shit, right? Exactly. Also, fact, I think our fashion game should be stepped up. The worse our circumstances are, oh yeah, we need to boost each other's morale somehow. <laughs> yeah, and none of that cliched like Mad Max, like you know, car no, parts. Be creative. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page about this very important topic. I actually like though now. Recently have felt like I've been IDing with Furiosa a lot. Um, that character in the, the most recent Mad Max. Yeah. Um, something about the age and experience and, um, you know, she's, she's a little bit worn and uh, she feels fury and she also feels grief and she also takes this incredible risk that's a good one, you know? Yeah, I did like that one. Um, it was very interesting to me. I found that one to be the maybe one of the most terrifying of the Mad Max. I liked them all, um, but I found that one especially because it was such a hierarchy. Everybody had a lifespan. Everybody had a shelf date. Everybody was kind of like, ugh, it was just gross and weird. Yeah. I just got my tube side last week. So I'm like, well, you can't kidnap me for breeding now. Right? <laughs> so. Exactly. Ha ha ha. Congratulations. I'm, How are you feeling about that? Like I physically feel like, and emotionally? I, I had a lot of feelings like leading up to it. And, you know, because it is so final, but I've pretty much woken up every day and been like, again, hey, don't ever have to worry about having kids. Right. Yeah. And when I went to the, like, 
actual like a like initial appointment I had this like beautiful speech prepared about how I'm an aunt and my boyfriend has kids and I teach and all this stuff and the nurse was literally like yeah why ruin your body with pregnancy Uh uh-huh uh-huh. <laughs> Which is not the story I've heard for a lot of women that want to get their tubes tied, you know. Right. But, uh, I guess the when cosmos. You're 40. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, it's just to say, like, the cosmos, like, clearly sent you that nurse, but go ahead with your theory. Um, I don't really add a theory. It's not just, I, that was like, I was just thinking to myself when she said that, like, that was the thing I was going to, like, whisper right at the end, too. And, like, you know like to keep my shit tight thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what was your experience leading up to the decision like were you, were you at any point dissuaded like are you sure you want to do this and uh, I'm curious what your experience was in 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 starting this process yeah and, I did actually postpone it once because I I sort of like I like, I knew I didn't want to have kids, but there was a part of me that felt like closing that door forever was so, you know, like final. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you can get it reversed, but that sounds like a nightmare. So, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm like, I'm 41. I'm probably not going to be, you know, having a kid. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, but it was interesting. I did have the feelings, you know, and I would see little like blonde girls, you know, like the mom. I'm like, oh, that could be mm-hmm. mine. And then I'm like, yeah, but also they're cute out, you know, when they're doing that. But then when you're trying to get them to bed and they're screaming and they won't eat food and they won't listen to reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like dependent on you for everything. Like my boyfriend has two kids and I love them and I've like, stepped into like a pretty big role in their life but it's like they are a lot of work how old are the kids five and nine. Oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah like my friend who i was hanging out with last night that i was doing the tarot party at her house she has two kids and she was like yeah kids are expensive and you're just constantly stressed out and i'm like i'm expensive and i'm constantly stressed out about myself so mm-hmm it's probably good to just focus on on this project. Yeah. Yeah. You won't regret it. Um, I have to say, like, my spouse and I, we are in our mid-50s, and um, we don't have kids, and we don't regret that we don't have kids. In fact, we are large kids. We are <laughs> large kids who you know, pretty much cohabit as large kids, kind of like sleep is sacred in our house. Like he'll kind of come and wake me up. But he's like, I'm really sorry. It's, it's this o'clock. I just knew that you wouldn't want to sleep the day away. I'm like, that's cool. You know, or I'll be like, give me 30 more minutes or I don't know. And if you want to eat, if you want to buy with your own damn money, and eat at any random ass time of day a bowl of fucking Lucky Charms, it's all on you, baby. I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, um, there's something, you know, it's like we, we are parenting ourselves now. Um, and we also, you know, can be kids or, you know, just larger versions of ourselves. Um, I kind of always knew my limitations um, as 
the parent, like I was pretty sure I never wanted to have kids and that just became reinforced for me, the older I got. Um, I, <laughs> one of the funniest things I remember is getting puked on by a baby. Uh, that'll, that'll really, that kind of puts the nail in the coffin. You know? <laughs> baby puke was not your... Not I've your love language? You know, <laughs> no. And like, I can calculate, like, I've changed somewhere between here, but not quite this many diapers in my life. So I'm trying to keep my numbers super low. It's um, good for, you know, contamination. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I do like small people that are engaging, though, like the five and the nine, like that spread. Those kids are really super fun because you can... um they just, I like being around them because there's so high energy and they're just like, ah, let's do this. And you're like, yes, 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 let's do this. You know, it's like get them all jacked up on sugar and put <laughs> ideas in their heads and then send them back home to their own well, parents. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah, that is, that's a true auntie right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's more fun, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like, I like how respect for younger people because they always know like kids will call you out on your shit like they just get these looks on their faces that are so transparent like and you're like I'm not connected with this person at all so yeah I don't know I go yeah, to totally do counter recruitment sometimes in high schools um <clears throat> and I I'm like this yeah I mean, I just go in there and I look, I look like somebody's grandma, you know, um, it's like, we got to get younger people to help us do this counter recruitment. Um, cause kids are so sophisticated in some ways. Like I would not want to be below 18. I wouldn't want to be less than 30 right now in this time, just because it's like all the stuff that was overwhelming at that time is just overwhelming and faster now like mm. it, it's like you can't you know I mean that that kind of gossip to real time thing is instantaneous and people are just like no you said this you said this dude I get it right here yeah. <laughs> you know and it's like if as you're growing and developing and being a young person it's going to be really hard um did you guys see that movie eighth grade did you see no, um, but well, before we go down, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far in, into our conversation before we define for our what the folk fam what we mean by counter recruitment. Okay, because we didn't, uh, yes. um, we didn't really talk about that yet, and I think it's like, um, it's a term that if you've never been in the military, like it probably isn't going to have the same connotations, but. Essentially, yeah, yeah. So, um, counter military recruitment is is the longer, more uh, tongue twistery term. Truth and recruiting. Truth and recruitment. Word. Yes, truth mm -hmm. and recruitment. It's it's the the work that we do as veterans with nonprofit organizations to go into high schools either virtually or personally and um, have conversations with kids about what the military is compared to what military recruiters say it's going to be mm -hmm. and um everyone does some does it a little different I know when I do it I just kind of go in introduce myself and then take a bunch of questions because they always have lots of questions and I think 
And Stephanie, um, if you want to talk a little bit about what you mean by that, that'd be cool. Cause I want to, I want to get into this, like the mind of like the teenage. Yeah. Um, the impressionable. Yeah. The impressionable kid right now. Cause I think that's, it's really important. We don't talk about it enough. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What's that, what's some of your methods that, or your, your ways of going into schools and encounter recruiting? Okay. So I, uh, the chapter that I'm in is in Seattle veterans for peace and they, um, they actually pushed to get into the Seattle high schools, like, and it's part of the school's council, the city council, no, correction, the, it's by law now. It's in the school's oh. charter, right? Okay. Awesome. Uh, these people forced their way enough that they got in there. And so it's like, anytime there's going to be a recruiter at a high school, um, the then they have to make sure that there's um, a counter recruiter or a truth in recruiting person, an alternative view to uh, the recruiter. So we each have schools that we follow up with and, you know, a contact at the school, like, Hey, what's going on? Uh, Do you have a career day coming up or, um, you know, anything that's going on and, and they'll let us know what the, um, when the military is going to be there, then we show up. Sometimes a lot of my experiences are like um, recruiters are really desperate right now because recruitment is severely down. Like the worst it's been in the all volunteer army, which is um, after uh, Vietnam, I want to say about 1973 or so. So it's now considered an all volunteer force. We can talk about that too, but um, So recruiting is really down, okay? Um, Nobody wants to be in the military, and there's many good reasons why they wouldn't be. So recruiters are desperate, and they they have quotas to meet, uh, just like cops handing out tickets. Um, They have quotas to meet, and and if they're not succeeding, then that holds them up professionally. Uh, They don't don't make rank, and um, they might find themselves doing a different job. Um, So... Recruiters are very clever and they're trying everything like now to uh, to make themselves part of just our culture, our common culture, so that every time that you experience something that that they're they're there. Right. Um, So they get invited to career days at school and it's they're just another option. They're they're just another option uh, for employment. So um, I will go to those. Uh, you know, sometimes they're in the cafeteria, you know, and we never approach uh, the kids, nor can they. It's just the kids come up to the table and will ask questions and, um, you know, ask what we're doing there. Um, And we're just trying to say, I don't know what that guy said to you, but let us answer some questions. So we have something called a military IQ quiz and Mm -hmm. it's pretty simple. It's about 10 questions. Um, and we we try to dispel uh, the confusing information that uh, the recruiter is talking. But there's a lot of competition, um, and uh, we look, you know, we don't have millions of dollars of um, supporting us. We don't look cool. Our stuff's homemade. Um, you know, we don't have lanyards or T-shirts to hand out or um, – any sort of, you know, swag uh, that kids love. Um, 
And recruiters, when they're recruiting in that context, they're really not even, um, they're not really even trying to like get a kid to enlist right then. What they're just doing is gathering intel. They're trying to get prospects. They're, they just need to come back with a list of names. So it's like, you know, here out, fill out this little thing and you can have a t-shirt and it's right there for the cost of a t-shirt that says army. Um, you know, you've got a kid's name and address and phone number, um, and email and can just start developing sort of a relationship with them. Um, we try to be there to say, Hey, this is not what you think it is. And, or, if you think that you want to do this, please ask these questions and these questions and uh, talk to more people. So that's that's what we do, which is a little bit more, I think, uh, I always think of myself as sort of uh, staffing a booth, like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be the competitor uh, salesperson, which what you do, I think, is a little bit more intimate in the classroom. Yeah, well, and I work with a, a different organization, too, that has um, a lot of relationships with teachers, which is, I, you know, mm-hmm. so there's multiple ways to kind of get the truth to kids mm-hmm. who are being bombarded with <clears throat> propaganda. And um, so that way is a really good way to, like, get them to engage with you first. Mm-hmm. And then um, the organization I work with regularly called We Are Not Your Soldiers um, which is also like part of Courage to Resist. Mm-hmm. It's like a, um, you know, we're a small world, the right. anti-war, <laughs> truth and recruitment world. It's it's a we don't have the billions of dollars for it that the government plugs into it, but um, teachers reach out to that organization and invite us and them into their classroom personally to, uh, and that's the other way of doing it. So that, that way the kids are like, um, you know, they're, they're being graded on their participation. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's, it's also, yeah, like they, they have more of a chance to like sit there and listen and let questions come up and every, all the questions are invited. And so um, it's great because then they're engaged because they're not, um, you know, they're not being talked down to, they're not Mm -hmm. being talked at and um, hopefully they'll retain some of the information. Right. But at the very least they'll learn that like what they're being told isn't necessarily what's true. Mm -hmm. And that is like the beginning of any sort of, um, you know, critiquing my life. I mean, you were, you had a, a, you know, a critical mind when you were, you know, young in the military and that was, that was what led you down the path that did. Maybe actually, maybe we should talk a little bit about that. We're going to, maybe we can like put like a little teeny bookmark <laughs> in, in talking about kids' brains and, and talk about huh. Stephanie's brain when she was young and, and in the army. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, kids are young and impressionable and you want stuff and you're young and you're just very much thinking about, I want it now. Um, yeah, just... The, the process of uh, recruiting and and um, and where kids are developmentally, and I say kids, I mean people that are younger. Um, I don't want to sound ageist or like I'm relegating them to farm animals. So younger persons. Um, 
Yeah, you know, there's so much competing for your attention, um, your time, your money, um, and that wants to, you know, and and I think uh, developmentally at that time we're really vulnerable. So maybe, yeah, a kid or being compared to a barnyard animal is not too far off. We're all like, you know, we're not, we're trying to figure out the world. And, and there are forces at work that will take advantage of that, right? Um, and the military will say that they don't recruit um you know, younger than a certain age, but that's just not true. Um, recruitment happens in so many different spaces, like <clears throat> culturally, um, you know, freaking Tom Cruise uh, franchise Top Gun. That's that's a big old recruitment advertisement right there that might win an Oscar, for God's sake. Um, but culturally, um, you know, there are these opportunities um in e-gaming spaces, um, electronic games, um, the NFL too, like the NFL. Oh yeah. And that was like, not, I mean, that's like been fairly recent. Maybe, maybe it's been like 10 years or something that they just like all of a sudden started doing like, you know, the military flyovers and the big like American flag on the field. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Really like, and if you were like, not feeling that like immediately you're culturally cast out. Like, I mean, it's been a while since I've stood for the national anthem at anything. And this was even before the very talented and amazing Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Um, I just was like, this is gross, right? Uh, I just don't want to endorse this, you know, standing up. So there's been times where I've been like, maybe I'll just linger at the beer counter and in the lobby before the hockey game starts, just because I don't want to, I just don't feel like dealing with not standing up and, and, you know, at a hockey game for the next two and a half hours, some asshat behind me being like, why don't you stand the fuck up for the anthem? Yeah. Um, you know, there's just this cultural saturation. Um, so Anytime there's a big event, you know, there's recruiting. There's this uh, really cool YouTube video called the Disneyland of War. Um, but anytime these big air shows occur or, you know, those those are lots of things. They're, it's, it's a big celebration of war porn. It's a whole lot of environmental pollution. It's auditory pollution. Um it's a big just love fest for the military, right? And it gets so hyped up and, you know, and it's like face painting for the kids, you know. So you can argue is face painting for the kids uh, recruiting? Is it? Is it not? I don't know. I'm just saying that there are things in our culture that are built in so that um, over time, it, if if it's not necessarily offensive, right, it's just become – it's in the same way that uh, culturally, I think that we become, oh, it's Tuesday, there is a mass shooting, you know, um, at some point we become inured to yeah, what's going on and we just negotiate that, right? Um, yeah. That you stand your ass up for the national anthem and you, you know, and okay, the kid wants to get his face painted and I want to go to the air show. And so all of this is happening in real time on multiple fronts and it softens uh, so that, 
you know, if your kid is 13 or 14 and playing esports and they're playing, you know, with a recruiter and mom and dad never ask who they're playing with or who they're, you know, it's like people get really lit up about like, you know, <clears throat> oh, your kid could be talking to a drug dealer. It's like, I would no more let my kid like talk to a recruiter out on the street corner than a drug dealer. Right. You just, it's like, to me, they're the same type. It's like, you're looking to prey upon um, somebody form an opinion and set them on an impossible task that might kill them or that they might kill other people. So making that palatable uh, and just easing into that, that level of violence is what to me is really threatening. It's, it's not, it's like, it's incremental, right? So we're just trying to throw things at this to disrupt this, um, this machine that, that just goes by the force of its own momentum. You know, recruiters are just like, I remember seeing this guy recently and he was just collecting names. And afterwards I, I went up to him. I was like, man, you, you slayed it today, bro. What, you know? And he was like, I know I'm really impressed. I mean, he was surprised at how successful he was in, in, you know, but it's like part of that is generated by, you know, if a guy has a chin up bar and he's got some cool things to compete for and, kids gather around and they, you know, there's that, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like cheering your pal on to do uh, chin-ups and they get this cool thing that wasn't, I don't know, it's fucking keychain, whatever. It was not really hmm. that cool. But now it's like, you know, you've had this sort of transaction has occurred, right? Where everybody's really invested in this and it's not just a keychain anymore. It's a totem of cool because he just did, you know, 10 pull-ups of the chin-up bar um and in high school culture man that's you know yeah. you're the guy for the day or whatever and it's like this is a sort of incremental thing where our our underdeveloped our or not our underdeveloped i'm going to say our adolescent as we are developing is a, a vulnerable place and um you know there's never any recruitment efforts for you know older people who are like, you know, LARPers in the <laughs> cleaners, you know, like, yeah, man, uh, they don't want those people. They know that they're fucking crazy killers. They don't want them. They want a young, malleable, physically, uh, mentally and emotional. They want a young, malleable human because there's a lot of shit that they got to cram in there to transform that into a soldier, into a, you know, somebody who can, can adjust in a culture at a moment's notice and just forget, it's like we're creating somebody that will do what we need them to do and not ask questions about the mission, not ask questions about political environment that we, we have trained them to respond in this manner. And this is what we want them to do. And anything that's going to be a disruption to that, there's no fucking room for that. Right. right. Because if you get a little bit of doubt in there, if you just open that door, just nudge it ever so slightly. And there's some doubt and they start thinking for themselves. Well, that's when shit gets, that's when you get in trouble, right? As you found out firsthand. <laughs> so, okay. So how, how old were you when you joined the army? I was 17 years old. I was in between my junior and senior year. So you were just sort of developing your sense of awareness and 
conscience and consciousness of like everything that was going on politically. And what year was that? Uh, that was 1984. I won't even, you give it, you make it sound like I'm much more astute than I was, but. Well, I mean, it all starts somewhere, right? Like right. we start being critical adults because we're critical kids in some way, usually because yeah. like the world does us some kind of wrong. Right. And we're like, what the fuck, you know? Mm-hmm. And we look around and we're like, there's got to be a reason for this. This can't have just happened in a vacuum. We sometimes we blame ourselves for a while, but, you know, usually we turn around and we're like, I think there's somebody else maybe who's got something to do with this. And then. If we're in the army by then, we're looking around at like, what is the army and right. what's going on and what are we doing? So I think part of the reason why we both talk to kids now in schools is because we both were in the place of like joining the military and then discovering um, that we were going to be asked to do things that were against our mm-hmm moral code and and not really knowing what to do about that for i took the path of of less resistance i won't say least resistance but i definitely met quite a bit of resistance yeah, you did. but um a, a book's worth but, of resistance yeah a book's yeah. worth of resistance right yeah. but but stephanie you took a path of like very admirable resistance and i feel like that was um i mean it was very inspiring to me so i would love it if you could like kind of talk about your path from just sort of skeptical to to overtly critical of the mission yeah i i mean when i enlisted uh i was young and dumb and i just i wanted to make a better life for myself which i think you know i grew up in a home that was kind of unstable um it was very unstable how's that (laughs) and you know it's like uh i just wanted to kind of like do I wanted to have this life where it was like I wasn't sure what it was about, but I knew that it wasn't in the small town, it wasn't religious, it wasn't you know, it's just there was something else. And but how to achieve that was totally not on my radar. Um, I had good grades in school, but wasn't but didn't really have a an idea what that meant and or what I could do with it. None of that was modeled for me at home, and um. So I actually went along with somebody else. I, I didn't even, here, here's an here's example of who the Army was to recruit. So in 1984, things are pretty slow. It was pretty quiet, uh, Reagan times. Um, and uh, I had gone with my mom and my stepdad, and he wanted to be in the Navy Reserve. I don't know why, uh, but he did. Uh, kind of, but this guy's not a candidate, right? He's he's like probably mid thirties at this time, a little bit heavy, and has had pot convictions. This is back in the eighties, um, so he's just not a candidate, right? And um, the recruiters turned to me and they were like, "Well, how about you?" And I was like, "How about me? What?" You know, it's like. And they're like, have you ever thought about being in the military? And it's like, no. And then right then it was just off to the races. And it's like, they were like, well, have you ever taken the ASVAB, which is the uh, Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery? It's a, a, a test um, that is free because it's not really like what they're trying to do is develop prospects, right? They're trying to collect mm-hmm. information. Um, I loved taking academic tests like that um, because um, – 
you know, it was free. I couldn't afford that. I was working at Dairy Queen, perhaps trying to, to, you know, get some scratch together for, you know, to take the ACT or the SAT because that was expensive stuff back then. And I couldn't really afford to do that. So when the military, when the recruiter starts asking you question, if they're a good astute observer, they're asking you questions that are like, tell me about yourself. And, you know, it's really flattering when somebody is asking you these questions like about yourself and you get this opportunity. It's like a grown up mm-hmm. is asking me questions. Had I ever taken the ASVAB? And I was like, oh, yeah, I took that test. They had my scores right in a file cabinet, right? Because I've given them, I've seeded it for them, you know. Uh, I had great scores and then they're like, well, what do you want to do and whatever. And, you know, my mom is there and she's like, I, I, I can't afford to send you to college. What are you going to do? You know, and, and, and from her perspective, it all sounds really great. You know, she's like, oh, you can see the world and, and get a college education. And, oh, don't forget about meeting nice men in uniform. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, man. Cute you know, gang of just, four. I love a man in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> it all just like it was like walking into the lion's mouth essentially you know um and i hadn't really thought about things politically other than you know i knew i was kind of an odd bird but i i didn't really associate that with politics and um you know it was transformative to say the least that um this all all the everything around me was saying yes. Right. Um, and, um, so I remember when I got home that afternoon and I told my granddad that I enlisted, he was fucking furious. Like, uh, both of my grandfathers had been in world war two. I did not, my dad did not serve in Vietnam. Um, and, uh, they were just like, who let you do this? And, and I, didn't understand. I was kind of let down a little bit. I didn't understand his distress, you know, and then he was, and then he was just kind of like trying to be as supportive as he could. But, um, you know, so I went into the military after I got, so I started drilling with my unit when I was in high school and was like, Ooh, look at me. I'm all grown up, you know? And then I went to basic shortly after high school at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, which is where the Females. Yeah. Females go to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was there for a considerable time for, uh, well, it was eight weeks basic back then. And uh, in um, gender, you know, girls and boys, it's not the integrated oh, thing. Yeah. Um, and then I also did advanced individual training there, too, which was just to be like a 71 Lima, which is an administrative assistant. It's like... You know, I was not flying helicopters or doing anything. It's just like, we're going to, you're going to be a reservist. And this is the easiest thing to get, you know, for a reservist. And I had signed in for six years, right? Uh, and I remember it seeming like a long time. Um, but, you know, you have no concept of time at 17. Like now six years will go by quickly. I, I'm like six years. Shit. I don't even know if I'll be on this planet anymore. Um, but at that time, you know, um, it just seemed like a really, it was a good life plan. I was going to kick off my life, man. I had, I had secure income. I was going to, you know, um, 
I got $1,000 a year for four years enlistment bonus. That's the college money I got. That's the big thing I got. That and my regular pay. And everybody's like, if you took the money for college, then you should serve. And it's like $1,000 a year for four years for college. It helped, but that's not like they paid for my college education at all. No, not even back you know, then. No, yeah. yeah. I who paid for my college administration? I did, and with the help of my grandparents, because the, that that same grandfather would always be the one who would be like, it was like a kind of convoluted loop. It's like I can't have the money from the military to pay for the registration fees until until I'm already registered, right? Because then I get reimbursed. So I was constantly in this loop where it's like I would need a thousand dollars fast to register so that I could continue my student loan job or my student campus job. You can't work on campus if you're not a student. It's just, yeah. you know, a perpetual uh, way of making things hard. Um, and I remember what that feels like as a younger person. It's like where the world is just not friendly. It's just like where every bit of your day is just like shit cannot go wrong. Right. Uh, and um, I'd never want to lose that feeling. It's like, even as, I've achieved this level of comfort in my life. I never want to ever forget like how, you know, if you've got a limited amount of time and resources and you have to be somewhere to go to a class or, you know, go to a drill or <laughs> there's just no room for error, but yeah, you know, it was not, it was not what I thought it would be. And, and it was also disruptive because I was trying to work my way through college and earn money and, so many weekends I'd have to be at drill um, or I'd have a training. Um, you know, we, I went to South Korea. I went to Japan. Uh, I would love to go back to both of those countries, not as an occupying force, but as a, a citizen, just doing good stuff there. Um, but, you know, it's weird. And, and I grew up to some degree while I was in, in that time between 17 and 23, I grew up and became more politically astute and, um, you know, would spend time with my people in a unit for advance. And it's like, ugh, just, you know, things were really not making sense to me. Like there's a cognitive dissonance of being like, I am a college student working for a Palestinian man in a Middle Eastern restaurant through the week and attending, you know, demonstrations and die-ins. And, and then on the weekend I put on this uniform and I hop, 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 hop around, um, you know, and those people are just like, Oh, what's going on at that weird college town, man. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just a real big dissonance. So, um, where, where did you go to college? Um, I went to Southern Illinois university in Carbondale, it used that's, to be. that's where my dad went, actually. All right. You, I don't know how old your dad is, but. <laughs> he would have been there in the there. 70s. He was there when they were, like, occupying the campus. And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. 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 It had a reputation um, as, uh, you know, it had been a teacher's college, but it got a reputation during the 70s for being, like, very activist and also um, a party school, big-time party school. Um <laughs> but yeah, when I, you know, I've had experiences that just made me say this is not right, like really weird things that every time something would happen during that time, I remember the invasion of Panama, I remember, you know, um, 
things going on that just were like, man, this just is, could I mobilize there? Would I mobilize there? Um, the last year that I was in uh, reserve, uh, my unit was activated to Honduras. And I was like, by that point, I'm like, no, I can't make it. I just started a job and I'm in a new semester. But, you know, when I would go on these adventures, I'd lose whole chunks of time. Like, I remember trying to negotiate with professors like, like um, you know, I'm in the military and I'm going to have to miss two and a half weeks of your course. Um, so we're going to have to make some, you know, and some of them were okay with it, but then the ones who were not okay with it, it's like I should have been listening to those people because, um, you know, I, I, I remember having a female Hellenistic studies, you know, the classics, and she was just like, yeah. it's like, oh, shit, pay attention to her, right? Um, so I had been in for six years, and I was so ready to be done, and I was at my last summer camp. and uh, Summer camp. Summer camp. <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> annual training. <laughs> summer camp is annual training, which is that two and a two two and a half week period. Um, I'd achieved the rank of E four, which is specialist, which equals corporal, which is just enough to like you're one below uh, an NCO, which is a sergeant. It requires you to uh, go to uh, um, non commissioned officer school. I kind of had started that a little bit and then was like, I realized, fuck this, no way. Cause NCO really means no chance outside. It's like, <laughs> you're in there forever. And it's like, I don't want to make that commitment. It's, this is just enough to like, keep me from getting too much shit, but also I don't have to clean the motor pool. Right. Cause you can tell a skeeter wing to do that shit. <laughs> um, you know, it's the hierarchy. Um, it's just, there's so many things at play that keep it so that keeps everybody off balance, right? Because they don't want you to ever get your bearings. Because if you do, if you become self-idealized, and um, then you might not behave the way you're supposed to. So, you know, I'd really been struggling for a long time. Like, God damn, I can't wait till this is over. This is just not me. This is not my life. I kept having experiences that were just like, uh it made me feel dirty. How, how's that? Uh, is that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, that I was just, and it's like, I don't think that I could ever, I mean, these conflicts that were happening is like, were just not things that felt legitimate to me. Like, um, yeah, you know, overrunning Panama and capturing Noriega was just like, uh, politically kind of like, similar to Trujillo in uh, the Dominican Republic. It's like, this is our bastard, right? We made this monster, but he's getting a little bit out of control. So we're going to jerk the chain and uh, capture this criminal uh, and, and just wreck shop in the meantime and run over people and just not giving a fuck about that. And that became obvious to me that that was what was going on. So when Iraq invaded Kuwait, I was at my final summer camp and, and uh, we were in formation and right before being called out of it, this, you know, this guy, the officers is like, I hope this reinforces skills set for you because Iraq just invaded Kuwait. This was in August. Right. And I remember thinking, ah, 
um, that I would have not a fucking thing to do with that. I was short timers disease. People would ask me questions and I'd just be like, er, surly and just like, fuck all y'all. Well, you know, I, little did I know that George Bush had signed what was called the stop loss order at that time. So anybody who was, if you were fitting to retire, if you were, if you're, you know, your contract was, uh, you know, medical, I'm, other than the most egregious, it's like they were retaining everyone. It's like they knew in August what they, you know, if you knew in August that you were going to put a stop loss order and retain people for a war that didn't start until six months later in January, I mean, mm-hmm. boom, right? Uh, I didn't really know that. I just remember feeling like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, I'm trying to get on with my life. I'm, you know, trying to write at this newspaper doing this rock journalist shit because I think that I I know how to do that or something. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm an English major and I'm going to write reviews. You know, my... <laughs> I, uh, you, you, you both have, have a thing in common. I, I know. So, someday I'm going to tell you about <laughs> yes. interviewing John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Ooh, it was what a bad turd. Up. What a turd. Uh, sorry. Yeah. If you're listening, he's not. <laughs> but just, yeah. Um, you know, I was not going to commit to making this. So when my unit called and said, uh, stand fast, don't go anywhere. We don't know where you are for the next 24, you know, stay, you're on standby. I'm like, who's we? Um, and then it's like, Wow. So I immediately responded like I was going to go, right? Um, And it was just, and oh my God, so much bad advice I got. Like people are like, well, why don't you get pregnant? And I'm like, wow, that is like one of the worst fucking ideas I've ever heard of. Uh, This was during the time of don't ask, don't tell us. So other people were like, well, you can always say you're queer. It's like, yeah, like they didn't figure that out for the last six years that I've been drilling with this unit, they know that I'm a big fucking weirdo. You know, they know that I spent a lot of time in the LGBT community that, you know, that community of LGBTQIA people in the eighties in rural Southern Illinois were my fucking community rock steady. Like when I was trying to figure shit out as a teenager uh, or develop any friendships, it's like that community of people was always there for me and it's like there's no way I'm gonna you know capitalize and lie about something that you know I could not that is so just damn disrespectful to this community of people I love so Mm -hmm. um, that was a no-go and so I just decided that I was just gonna show up to my unit with my gear turn myself in and be like just take me straight to jail I'm not gonna do this thing and um, about that time, I got this alternative newspaper, and there was this guy sitting on the tarmac of Kanyoe Air Base, and he's just kind of—it's like this skinny little dude with pimply skin, and it's like he's kind of sitting there like a little Buddha position, and all around him are these legs of people who are just taking him to town, just dog in his ass because he sat down on the tarmac and said that he refused to deploy to Iraq and I was like this what is this what is this person doing this I know this what is this and it's like that's what I'm going to do um 
I still couldn't even really articulate what that was, but it's like, this is significant, this person, what they're saying. And then there was this other person and this other person. And we just, this is before internet people. So this is big shit, you know, uh, this was like telephones before cell phones. It's like for news to travel this way and for other people to find out about each other and try to connect, um, was kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, that's pretty incredible, actually. Especially how much so, you would think they try to like suppress that kind of. Yeah. So it was. Know. It was for me. It was really difficult. It was like um, I was. Uh, I met it with resistance in my small town immediately um, because I was like on local affiliate news stations. Like a local woman refuses to go to war. <laughs> more after this. Um, and it just, I was not ready for that. I got connected with a group in New York called citizen soldier and their idea was like to go public with it. And I was like, okay, I just kind of was along for the ride in that way. I didn't really know what it meant to resist. And, um, it was frightening, but at the same time, it was like, you know, in the larger context of things, I, you know, at the most, I was facing five years in jail, which would have sucked between the ages of, to be like between 23 and 28. And it's like, where were you for the last five years? Oh, you know, hanging out in Fort Knox um, would have sucked. As it turned out, I got very fortunate. I was early on. And I think that the military wanted to write me off as a just, a, you know, they didn't want this to be. I don't think they wanted the word to spread. It would have been a huge morale event like and it, and it it just uh, I it was like write me off as a weirdo as a one off like look at this kid you know um, and so it's like I got arrested and uh, taken to Fort Knox uh, before that I was it was just kind of a fiasco of events but essentially I was given an other than honorable in lieu of courts martial which I was like. I'm good by that. Uh, a chapter 10, uh, I don't get any sort of benefits. I'm good with that. Um, it was always like a relationship I couldn't get out of. If you, will. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, you're just like, fuck. Um, you're like, just cut the losses and get me yeah. out of here. Yeah. That's what I'm, I told the kids, honestly. Yeah. I'm like, it's like the military is like being in an abusive relationship that you can't get out of. Yeah, I, I usually ask them, I'm like, what's the worst job that you can think of in there? And, and kids will say, oh, McDonald's. And I'm like, yeah, cool. All right. So imagine if you had to like work at McDonald's, but after your shift, you couldn't go home. Like you had to sleep right there next to the deep fryer, right? In your McDonald's uniform. And, you know, just really, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, who do you not like in the school? And they'd be like, oh, see that guy? I'm like, and you had to sleep in the, you know, with Same him. Same bunk with that guy. Yeah. You got you to share your deep fryer grease room with that guy that you can't stand. He might have it out for you. Fuck, I don't know. It's just like, it's like trying to get them to think about what's the shittiest circumstances that they can conceptualize. Because <laughs> yeah. that's really, I mean, one of the things I ask kids, I'm like, can you live without that phone for eight weeks? conversation stops right, right there for a lot of people um right that's right because you can't bring your phone to, i i had to base i went to basic training before i had a phone i think the most the most um 
advanced technology I had was a pager when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. Because I was Uh, a cool kid. Right? (laughs) I was not a cool kid, actually, at all. Um, But I did have a beeper. And by the time I went to basic, I didn't have anything. So, yeah, yeah, that was a a frame of reference. I didn't even think about asking when I I go into schools. Like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. You can't contact anybody. That could be a a no-go with the great the young kids, especially. Yeah. Having nothing to distract you from your reality for eight weeks. Now it's like, it's 10 weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's 10 weeks. I was surprised by that. I remember being in basic and it was like, for me, it was really hard. Like in my household, um, domestic violence played a lot, a big factor in that. And as a kid growing up in that, I had learned sort of uh emotional tactics you know which we now we now are know our trauma responses right yeah yeah. flight uh freeze and fawning was Mm -hmm. another one you said man i was gifted at all of that shit as the oldest kid in the family and like i knew how to make myself small i knew how to make myself scarce i knew how to scram or you know negotiate with people who were volatile or, and it just didn't work there. Right. It just did not work for me in that context. Um, you know, um, I'm a pretty big human and, um, I got ripped Mondo fast when Mm. I was in basic and, and I tried to fuck up and get thrown out and do things. And it's like, but the longer it went on, the more like, of an asset, I became to them just exactly what they wanted. I remember going into the drill sergeant's office and being like, you know, I can't this or I don't do that. And, and he'd be, you know, he's like, look at you, you're a fucking monster. You know, you're 5'10, <sighs> you know, he's, uh, you know, he's like, he's like, I'll just recycle your ass. I'll keep you here. We'll be mm-hmm. friends for eight more fucking weeks. What do you think about that? And it's like, <gasps> you know, I'll do anything to get away from this monster human mm-hmm. person it's horrible i don't want to spend eight more weeks with this fucking guy and he's just gonna you know make me more of a monster mm-hmm. um yeah that's 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 the thing they don't tell you is that those that, that could be your option sorry sarah go ahead and it's, it's always wild for me like being a civilian but i was raised by very anti-war parents i had an uncle who was really mentally damaged from vietnam Um, When I became a librarian and like finished my degree, I kind of felt like that was for him because he like got very close, but couldn't do it. He just like was totally addicted to alcohol and drugs, like after he came back. So like I had that perspective that like this is fucked up, which I, you know, probably Mm -hmm. saved me from any recruiters. But it's still I feel like still like even I don't there's such a disconnect even with folks like me that are anti-war and like knowing what actually happens in the military, you mm-hmm. know, like it's been so eye-opening working with joy on this project for that reason. So. Yeah. We have this weird thing, like uh, gallows humor, weirdness, oddness, yeah. like just, I can remember like, well, after reading your book, I was like, when you, mm-hmm. they said that they can't really, uh, touch you anymore or right. do you th- like 
I can't remember, curse at you. I can't curse at you. Yeah, that was also going on for me in the 80s, uh, especially in basic. Like, um, I remember like seeing Full Metal Jacket in the theater, and I was in the military at that time, and I was like, I'm sure I left claw marks on the seats because the kid who ultimately wasted the drill sergeant, I remember like that rage feeling that way as I was transforming like I had a drill sergeant when I was out on the range and he, the the rod for cleaning uh, your weapon I don't know if they still but they, yeah. they would tap you on the fucking helmet you're yeah. fucking wasting my ammo and it's just like it's a, a hundred degrees and somebody's beating your your lid with this metal thing it's like it's like you just lose your marbles right mm -hmm. you just you're driven to it's like either i'm going to turn this weapon on this guy or myself or it just it's like such a volatile uh atmosphere and then and for me having been in an environment where you know there was kind of i i brought my own like trauma with me to the military um you know it was certainly not gonna you know the military just definitely exacerbated uh all of those things of, of uh, being female. Uh, I, I had a drill instructor who was from the Vietnam era, so he was he was he was old even then, right in the eighties. And and uh, I remember two girls had gone off on fire guard with two guys also on fire guard. I don't know what happened, but you know they're teenagers. Um, but that he dressed down like the whole. A platoon that he didn't think any of us should be in his fucking man's army anyway but yeah. now that we were you know it's just like you know um people in those positions of power that are sort of semi-volatile -vol anyway and then you're given a population of uh of young people that you're in charge of forming you know them from you know you're, you're taking human beings, a group of them, and then it's like doing this kind of like tabula rasa, right? Let's just fucking wipe everything out. No individuality, no nothing. And then I'm going to build you into what I want you to be, which is a uniform thing. There's just, there's no aberration. It's very strategic in the way that they do it too. Like everybody, every damn buddy starts basic training at ODARC 30, they just right off the hop, there's a, there's a strategy about how it's like all recruits, they, you know, you leave sometime early evening, maybe from a map station, but everybody arrives at where they are well after midnight. So you're thrown off of your, your sleep schedule, your mm -hmm. eating schedule, everything. And then you're in a room with hundreds of strangers and these people who are yelling at you for no reason. And right off the go, it's, it's very calculated. It's very systematic. Um, you know, nobody really talks to people about what's going on, like examines it as a process. Like I'm fascinated by, I'm personally fascinated by the process because um, there's a lot of things going on at play. There's all of these disruptors. Um, you know, it's just fascinating to me. Like it's very systematic about how to, how this happens, how you can change a human being from just kind of like a person who hadn't maybe thought a lot about things to building them up in your image and how, um, you know, some people's personalities will take to that. Um, some people are not bothered by that. 
Um, and some people become the ideal, like, killing machines, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. I think, like, especially coming up on now, like, the, the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War, which is very soon, um, it's, I think the military over the last 20 years has really, um, you know, put a lot of energy and resources into um into reaching kids young you know Mm -hmm. and to to really aggressively convincing kids that they're doing the right thing by joining the military that Mm -hmm. they're going to be a badass if they do it Mm -hmm. that you know there's all this emphasis on like the glory and the achievement and like the doing service for your country but there's of course never a conversation about like what that actually means um, what kind of service are you referring to, <laughs> drill sergeant? You know, <laughs> who are we serving? Because it's not each other, mm-hmm. clearly, um, and it's not anybody else we know. And then there's there's really no conversation about yeah the nitty gritty, the details. What is it actually like to be in the army? You know, it's it's yeah, it's like being it's being in the worst potentially the worst job in the world that you can't quit and. The conversation that, um, you know, we've had, you know, multiple times is like I've had with, I think, every veteran I know, when we're looking for a place to have common ground, whether whether we're anti-war, if they're pro, pro-war, if they're like a diehard Republican, diehard Democrat, if they're a full libertarian, if they're just like a whole hot mess, if they are the most together person in the world – Everyone can agree on this one thing is that the military fucked them in Mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them Mm -hmm. got fucked by the military in some way. And, you know, what I like to put out there to everyone, not just kids, but it's like if you're being recruited for a job where literally everybody who has ever done it and will ever do it is fucked over at some point egregiously by that by that employer um are you gonna want to take those hundred percent gonna get fucked odds <laughs> like or or are you, do you maybe want to find something with a 99 percent the odds? army reviews on Glassdoor are quite <laughs> what's that the army, <laughs> army reviews on Glassdoor are quite uh, <laughs> oh man that would be a great way that yeah well, there we what there there's reviews yeah, it's like you can review like a company, like people that work there. I have not <laughs> even thought about that. Ooh, that's a campaign. I didn't even know that either. Are yeah. we old? Glassdoor. We're old. Yeah, I've used Glassdoor, <laughs> but I never thought about using it for the military. But that's, that's brilliant. Great. I mean, yeah. would not recommend. It, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like the, it's the uh, zero it's stars. The, yeah, <laughs> it's the new equivalent of the old bumper sticker that says. Uh, travel, join the army, travel to exotic places, meet wonderful, uh, meet exotic people, and then kill them. And kill them. Yeah. Uh, I had a drill sergeant who actually said that. He like he sloganed that all the time. He was like, "I joined the army to go new places, meet new people, and kill them." Ha ha ha. And it's just like that's you know you talk about gallows humor. Like yeah yeah exactly. Like it's no wonder we all get out like not fitting in with anybody who hasn't been in the military really like we have to put on our civilian pants and be like 
I totally didn't make an extremely inappropriate joke in my head or almost out loud or actually out loud just now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, well, that that segues into, like, if we could talk about feminism in the military or the lack thereof or critical um, or the whatever. way it takes shape, which is, yeah. which uh, is like fake feminism. Yeah. Uh, or uh, acclimating extreme. Uh, there's just so much like um, one of my favorite books still continues to be the Cynthia Enloe bananas, beaches and bases, because it just shows um what the military does to environments on a very local level, like what happens around military bases. Um, recently, my husband and I were driving and there's this, there's a used car dealership in our kind of like on our way home. And it, it's chock full of these rides that are just like, I look at it and I was like, mm-hmm. You got mobilized. Uh, your pay level got cut. It's just like Dodge Chargers, and you know, and and Matt's like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm just like, "This is like, this is base culture stuff." You know, uh, pawn shops, fast food joints, uh, automotive places with easy credit terms. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're 18, 19 years old hormone monster and you got some scratch and you're living in the barracks and you're getting fed and you you get what seems like a lot of cash and it's like I'm going to buy that fucking car you know or I'm going to buy that fucking diamond for my girl back home or just um, you know the kind of educations that we would want to give to young people in a sort of like how, how to live and navigate the world. Um, those lessons are not given to those young people. You're just going from maybe one horrible environment to another or one sort of predictive environment. I mean, it's not, it's not like a college where there's dorm culture. You get the freshman 15 and you learn how to live with other people in a kind of a context where you're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, If this is a, a little bit more brutal, I would say. <laughs> um, you know, if you come from, you know, my 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 concern has always been about uh, kids in the rural nowheresville, just because that's the kids I identify with. Um, kids from Rust Belt cities, <clears throat> but mostly, you know, uh, kids who feel like they have a limited set of options. Um, they don't have maybe a family structure that's prepped them to be out in the world, but it's just like, okay, you're 18 now go. Um, you know, they're not getting that same sort of um, stability or preparation that maybe somebody who's college bound is getting. Um, and it's like, you get thrown out in the world and you want these things still materially. You're making this, this income and, just a, this culture erupts from that right um yeah uh there's a lot of machismo there's a lot of like really cis gendered structural things religious you know you're you're taking this kid from this place but they're they're bringing something with them as well right that may not be solid or formed but you'll see that uh replicated in you know culturally 
uh, out in other countries around a base, and that there, I, I think there's a reason for that. That it it um, it provides some sort of uh, sort of like comfort and makes people feel like they're home or they've got, you know, like I can remember like being in South Korea or something and people being like, man, let's go eat at the Kentucky fried chicken. And I'm like, what? We're in Korea. Let's eat amazing Korean food. And they're like, no, man, I want, you know, something that, you know, uh, is familiar to them on American soil or, or sort of a structure. And I think the military can have that influence and create that, um, which is to me both sad and uh, it's just like, and it's predictive, right? It's like um, uh, young people getting married to each other way too soon without really knowing who they are, um, you know, bringing their own baggage with them um, and not really getting the support or structure um, that they would get in the civilian work. There's always just this thing that's hovering, you know, it's like, the chaplain is not just a chaplain. The chaplain is a military chaplain. So, mm. you know, um, the gospel of Jesus is in there somewhere, but it's also in service to battle, right? Yeah. Um, you know, going to talk to the chaplain about anything, you know, is you're talking to, you're talking to the man first, right? You're talking to the man who's talking Literally. to, yeah. So, yeah, just that sort of culture. I, I um, you know, it's unfortunate because it as these people are developing into adults, they're developing into adults in a, a culture that reinforces things that are, you know, um, Western chauvinism. What can I say? You know, I'm not. I'm also not shocked that there's a huge transition right now between people who been in the most recent military conflicts like OIF uh, and OAF veterans and that transition into highly militarized police forces right now, um, uh, bro culture kind of things, you know, some of that is just people who aged, you know, they went in as a certain young person, they aged through that, they went through a militarized experience and now they're trying to navigate the rest of the world and it doesn't it doesn't match for them, but there are these sort of power gaps, uh, these vacuums where there are places that can re replicate that feeling for them and make them feel included. And it's something that they know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and it's like the, then the military does makes these, um, these sort of waves at feminism in, within this culture that's very like bro oriented and <laughs> it's needed to because war war is a bro thing we we know that the matriarchy has not no time for war generally mm -hmm. and, and historically speaking and we might just um, viciously gossip each other into a treaty right <laughs> passive aggression is, is yeah. the matriarchy's way so the thing that is when you talk about feminism in the military it always takes the form of like women being like promoted to certain levels or women being given these like special honors but it's like always is you know the un unstated thing you know elephant in the room is that like 
these are like boons from the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. These are like carrots saying like, look, we have girls and they can do the same kind of destructive things that boys can do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and meanwhile, you know, like when, for the, speaking of the NFL, you know, the Super Bowl and the flyover is like they, there was all of this, like, even, even women veterans I know who are, you know, generally critical of war were like, oh yeah, women, pilots are doing the flyover. I'm like, this is antithetical to everything that feminism means. Like doing a flyover that is going to waste all of these resources, pollute the air, pollute the noise, you know, like with all of, and then is ultimately just a show of strength of like, look at how many people we can bomb from these planes. It's like, that is, you know, that's why I call it fake feminism. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just putting a woman behind the, you know, in the, behind the driver's seat of, of a, a bombing of a bomber. Like, like, I, I feel like I've said this more eloquently before. A bomb dropped by a woman pilot is is still a bomb, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's, like, that cartoon of, like, like people in the Middle East running, and they're like, did you hear the bombs were sent by a woman? I feel like it's right. such a part of history. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I think about this, I think about, um, like, high-profile women that we are aware of, high-profile veteran women that we are aware of, and... It, and um, what fascinates me is, about them is um, how, who they are and how they've been portrayed uh, is not, does not reflect the complexity of who they are and that they are cast into these roles. Um, Jessica Lynch from the first Gulf War was it that? or no, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was yours second yeah it's yes. just now been 20 freaking right. years yeah. so uh Jessica Lynch and her experience and how it got told and this story that formed around her this mythos um uh Lindy what was her name Lindy England England yeah wow yeah I saw that and I felt so much when I saw that image. It it broke my heart into a thousand pieces. And it was just like, here's here's the proof that you need of the capacity of uh this is how this is how the military works, right? Like look at this person, they're completely removed from their conscience right now. That that image distressed me so much and I, I wanted to know how did she get to that place? Like I wanted to, I wanted to know how, how, how did she get to that place? What was the the complexity of her relationships interpersonally that how it, how, how did this happen? Right. It's all, it it hurts my fucking heart. Well, and when it came out totally, that's exactly the right questions that everyone should have been focusing on. Right. Because like, as, as the Lindy England story came out, it became very clear that she was being, you know, kind of used by this older male sergeant who Mm -hmm. was married, Mm -hmm. who was abusing his power. So it was like all like, she's just an impressionable kid and just like all of them are and somehow acting like you know the military gets to clutch its pearls and tar- and <sighs> and yeah. vilify 
this young person who is a, acting exactly the way she's being trained to, to act. Do, yeah. yeah. You know, dehumanize the enemy, get, take the place of power, follow orders from your leadership. She do, She was doing all she of that. She did everything she was supposed to be doing. Right? If she had been a man, they would have covered for her. Yes. And that's the thing. And so yeah. it's like when the military is like, we can feminist. It's like you inherently can't. Right. Right. <laughs> they can't. And like, you know, and then to counter that to like Jessica Lynch and uh, Jessica Lynch's physical appearance is very conventionally attractive white woman. And, you know, just the I mean, I think they really leaned heavily on uh, uh, her um, having been sexually assaulted like that just became a component of the story. Oh my God. Well, meanwhile, they completely ignored Shoshana Jackson, who was the other POW at the same time, right. who was a black woman. Oh, what? You know, and it's like, so, okay, right. they'll use women when it allows them to enforce racial hierarchy. Right, right. So it's like... Nobody cares if a black woman has been sexually assaulted, right? She just didn't have the same right. camera. Or if she's been rescued. Like, there was no, like, movie made nothing, about the rescue nothing of Shoshana about, Jackson. Yeah. You know. just, um, yeah. We'll include links to all these stories in the show notes for folks yeah. that may not be as familiar. But, yeah. uh... Um, yeah. Even before that, Tail Hook, which was when I was oh, in high yeah. school. Before, it's like... It's like... So you're telling me officers, officers, qualified professionals are female officers are running a fucking gauntlet uh, through, you know, you know, through guys and and just hoping to. Yeah, it was just uh, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I. I have, you know, I remember being at a lecture once and this young woman going, well, should I try to, should I enlist so that I can try to change the culture? I'm like, hmm, honey, hell to the no. You know, it's like, no, mm -mm, that ain't the way to go. That is not how it's going to unfold. You know, that's the job is to make fucking monsters, right? And to release them into the wild, well, not release them in the wild, but control them very closely. Um, yeah, I had a um a work study student that like he started off as like not that great of an employee and by the time he graduated he was like my lead student. He was awesome, like really independent thinker and really like smart and he decided he wanted to go into like I think the navy to fly planes. And I was like trying, you know, like I'm not going to tell him what to do, but I was like I told him I was like one of the things I respect about you is that you're an independent thinker. Like you think mm-hmm. for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. but like, don't lose that. It's a really good quality. So mm-hmm. I should check in with him and see like what he's doing. Like his whole thing was like, oh, I want to learn how to fly. I'm like, yeah, but that's going to come. <laughs> like, just yeah. go make a friend who's a pilot and like get him to pay him to teach you, dude. Like, so, <laughs> like Southwest probably that, needs pilots. <laughs> right. Like people forget right. that there's other ways than like the military is, would <clears throat> let you believe that it's the only way that you can get these training or to skills. be a firefighter or a first yeah. responder. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it, it helps if you want to be part of an old boys network, I guess, but mm-hmm. you know, um, I was going to say, too, that one of the things I think that I've noticed recently is how much the military is tailoring itself. It realizes that recruiters realize that they're in a competitive work environment. Um, 
So they're appealing to the things that they want. Like they want smart kids who can fly drones. They want, um, they're appealing to people, their best qualities. Like um, I have this younger friend who's in her twenties who um, got conscientious objector status. And, and I sent her a video and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And she's like, Oh shit, I would totally fall for that. You know, um, they're, it's very skillful. Like, what do you, were you army of one? That yeah, that was, that was my, our, that was the slogan. And well, I'm we still were, in we, be all we you were, can be era. We were in, <laughs> we were an army of one until army strong came out. Army strong. And right. I was like, what the whole fuck is this? Right. Right. <laughs> I was like, and I actually wrote a whole op-ed about how army strong was a stupid freaking army slogan. It meant nothing to me. It sounded like Hulk smash, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It's like basically how it sounds like it. Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah, Army Strong. It was yeah. Also the, There's a rubber bla- bracelet for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, part of it is being, I, I think part of being a good recruiter is being incredibly astute about who your audience is. And they're getting better at it. They're really, they're getting better. Because every they'll only do something for so long. And if it doesn't produce results, they're going to jettison it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're realizing that, by the time that I'm seeing people in the hallways, they're just, that's like a last chance drive by opportunistic mm-hmm. thing. Like maybe if I pop in for 30 minutes uh, at the school for lunchtime, I might get a few prospects. It's not like they're going to enlist anybody there. Um, right. You know, it, it's like I said, it's, it's gathering. I don't know if there's this uh, recent, um, recent recruiting ad that came out for psyops it's slicker than goose shit man it's awesome and it totally appeals to a certain sort of like the anti-hero kind of you know like uh my inner goth kid totally fucking responded to it like this is really cool like yeah uh you know, it's it's quick edits, it's multimedia, it's uh you don't know who we are kind of like if you if you're wanting that dark edgy like I question the man man kind mm-hmm. of you know this is a way for me to be a little bit you know they'll make room for you right <laughs> there's just different ways it's like you know they are developing skilled approaches that are adapted to the current environment because, you know, one of the things I have with Vietnam veteran era veterans, and I appreciate uh, that many of them were drafted is that the draft as that was at that time was never going to exist again. It's because people are fundamentally resistant to that. Um, you know, some people have said, well, we just need to do the, uh, the IDF thing, the Israel Defense Forces thing, like just to make it truly egalitarian, everybody uh, needs to serve for two years, just like they do in Israel. And it's like, no, nobody needs to do this. Um, you know, <laughs> everyone needs to be a trained terrorist <laughs> yeah. in this country. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, yeah, I, it's just really, I, I feel like our culture the level of violence where we are at right now is like, you know, the militarization process of our culture is, is, is 
what's occurring now, you know? Yeah. It's even, like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's like, even in higher ed, mm-hmm. where I work, like mm-hmm. our engineering school, like they, the job fairs, it's like Lockheed Martin, Ball Aerospace, mm-hmm. like all the mm-hmm. weapons manufacturers. There are recruiters on our campus. Like, mm-hmm. then the, yeah, that's, the, the pipeline to Boeing, that's what we're trying to disrupt in Seattle is uh, Boeing has the University of Washington right there. That's where you that's where you recruit your top talent is they're transitioning right. They've gone to high school to college and then they are going from college right into, you know, hey, the tech world also includes military tech, you know, um, look at Boston Dynamics in uh you know, the, the robot dogs and the, you know, the sort of like black mirror shit going on up there. It's like, those are smart people, right? Um, you know, getting them, you know, my spouse is an MIT graduate and it's like, he knows people that work at Boston Dynamics. It's like, you know, for them, it's like, we're making awesome shit. We're making fun toys. We're making, you know, look at this creative stuff. And it's like, I don't think anybody is like, I mean, some people, I hope their, their conscience is troubled. Like really, what the fuck are we going to do with military dogs? You know, um, like they're not going to be pets probably. Right. They're, they're not, not, they're not emotion, animals. They're not emotional support military dogs. <laughs> this is my emotional support military dog. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing if right. they did also use that for if there was like a cute, cuddly version that was like that lived with every soldier to like as their therapy dog so that they could <laughs> subvert the possibility that that person would go ape shit and like kill other people that they weren't told to kill. Um, Maybe they should get cats for that. Military support, military emotional support cats, right. robot yeah. cats, robot cats. Oh. No, no, I don't like that at all. No, neither do I. I feel uh-huh. like those. I feel like they would um, Kill somehow manage. Their sleep. To, yeah, they would somehow manage to subvert <laughs> the dominant paradigm pretty quick. I feel like. Well, we're learning this That'd be a good like, thing, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, but we're yeah. learning. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're learning now, like through the the chatbot services, that like the chatbot is only the the ones and zeros that act on the information we give it. Right. So part of the problem that we're seeing now with you know with AI rendering, you know, give me. Do you want to see the fantasy, Sarah? You know, mm-hmm. or. Uh, you know, like the chat GDP or GDP. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's it's not it's not it doesn't have intuition. It's, it's ones and zeros, right? But based on what we put into that schematic is how it will build the narrative. And the fact that it builds a narrative that is reflective of our militaristic, misogynist, racist classist capitalist society and everybody's like oh my god i'm scared as shit is this it's like all this is doing is holding up a mirror to us right pogo i have met the enemy and it is us right Mm -hmm. it's it's just reflecting back to us the sort of shit that we're feeding it right it's not we can't expect it to solve our problems uh when it's not intended to do that it's just showing us who we are um our continued biases and and you know how bad decisions get made 
Well, and I think on that note, um, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground in this conversation already. <laughs> we, we our heads off. Let's I feel like again. I feel like on that note, like I, I th- that really does tie the the conversational root room together that that it's (laughs) it is the rug that did that Mm -hmm. because it yeah i mean when we talk about military recruitment when we talk about you know the the machine that like takes well-meaning children and turns them into like soldier trained killers Mm -hmm. um you know we're talking about like symptoms of a culture that we've built that is this like just destructive you know, patriarchal, white supremacist, you know, like very, um, you know, unempathic culture. And, um, and I think it's why, like, it's so important that you, you know, you're, you're doing the work that you're doing, that we keep talking about these experiences um, that are, uh, you know, maybe not as well known, like, that the military is like the biggest pyramid scheme in in at least the, the country right now, right? It's a reverse funnel system. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it's and it's um, you know that's that's the elephant in the room right now. Biggest when polluter. It, the biggest polluter. Mm-hmm. The biggest racist organization. The most destructive terrorist organization you know, responsible for so much death and so much destruction. And, you know, meanwhile, we're trying to evolve over here. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's very it's annoying. Fucking mellow, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, and in a real sense, it is holding back our, our evolution. And that's why I like, it's so important for, you know, when you've had these experiences to go back and talk to kids and, you know, to share, share the knowledge that, um, you know, the military is definitely not going to pay us to go go talk to kids in schools nope. and tell them the real the real shit. Nope. So how can like we get the word out about these programs and get them into schools? And is there like pushback sometimes, I imagine, from some you know, schools? I don't know. Like I've recently been um, a, a woman can reached out to me and she was like, I want to do this. I want to get in schools. And she's making contacts with schools in a community and is seeding that bed. So I think it, when it's much more organic, when people are taking like, and she was like, you know, we want to do this. I'm like, let's let, okay, that's cool. Let's talk about what's manageable for your community. Like, I'm not going to come in here and tell her you need to do X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to say from my experience, this is what we tried, you know, what do you want in your community? Do you want every time there's a recruiter there that somebody responds? Like my group has made these sort of quick packs where we've got an instant kit, right? And it's in different people's houses around town. It's like, you know, the idea is that you should be able to mobilize to borrow a military term. You should, mm-hmm. here's, here's your, here's your rig and you should be able to mobilize at this school at this time and you have a kit that you can unfold there's a presentation and one to two people can do it safely together and you know um sometimes there is resistance do they want to do they just want to make it so that there's no asvab testing in the school or do they want it to be like uh opt out on on school records so that recruiters don't have access to your kids information shit there are there are cities, there was just a big expose in the New York Times by the, uh, the journalist Mike Baker about how some 
schools just have junior ROTC, which is an optional, and that it's even optional program, but they're actually making it mandatory for some students. And it's like, it, it should never be mandatory. I don't even like that's an option during school time, but you know, it's creep, right? It, it's, it's like, if you soften on this side and you soften on this side, and I'm really not the boogeyman, I'm just this person playing video games with your kids and Hey, it could turn into whoever thought playing videos could turn into a career. Uh, you can fly drones and you'll, you'll never have to see anybody die. Um, you know, just kind of sanitizing the experience and making it easier to maintain cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, things are changing. It's, it's adaptive and, and we just want to keep that at the forefront of like, it does, you know, pay attention to this, like pay yeah. attention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel hopeful working on a college campus and seeing how like a lot of like, especially like Gen Z, like really sees through a lot of the bullshit and they're very like savvy about a lot of it. But I see the students who are, you know, they're in college. I probably mm-hmm. don't see the students who don't have those opportunities. So yeah. I see students in ROTC on college campuses, like we did a thing on Veterans Day slash Armistice Day at the UW and where they were making it a big, you know, campus was shut down because it's a federal holiday, but also in its absence, uh, they're honoring all the ROTC students and, you know, there's ceremonies and meals and, and things that go on to reinforce that. So everybody everybody else is like, Hey, it's a national holiday. No, no campus. But then for these other people, it's like, it's an opportunity for us to get together, focus, insulate, reinforce, you know, um, type of stuff. So. Yeah, it's true. It's a mixed bag. Are you a librarian at UW? I just had to ask really quick. Oh, you know, I am a little, well, I was a librarian, but I'm not a practicing librarian anymore. The last place I worked at UW, I worked at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which was, um, uh, I worked archiving um, statistical data that makes, it informs how the world's public health is conducted, I guess. Uh, There's one professor who, he started realizing that there was a lot of redundant information and kind of around the world, this is pre-COVID too, about how, you know, uh, public health and disease and when we do surveys and collect this information, how it, is it equivalent across the board? It's really fascinating because I would uh, look at these surveys that was, you know, some household surveys in different countries would be like uh, trying to measure domestic violence and asking questions like, um, do you think it's okay for the woman to leave the house unattended? Yes. You know, and there's like a, a kind of a scale mm-hmm. or is it okay to beat one's spouse if the food is burnt? And it's like, whoa. or, you know, a, as one would expect statistical information for North Korea, there is none. Uh, it's either not reported or they just don't share it. Um, it uh, from some countries in the Middle East, you know, questions about homosexuality, Zero percent. There's none of that in this country. You know, it's like we know those things aren't true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have been a, a librarian in a different environment. So I was a public school librarian and um, 
or a public librarian. And I also worked in a private school with girls. Um, yeah. Been around the block. I've enjoyed being a librarian. So. Yeah. I'm an academic librarian. So that's why I was curious to like. Where at? And see you Boulder. Oh, city of Boulder. Wow. C- no, CU. CU Boulder. University of Colorado. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. a big, what's your department? Um, I'm in like the teaching and learning unit, or I guess we're now the teaching and engagement team. We just had a reorg. So, you know, mm. everything got a fancy new name. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I do mostly like programming and outreach. Awesome. Mm. Do you have a subject master's too? Um, I don't, although I'm kind of unofficially the librarian that knows all about like drugs. So like, <laughs> drug, drug research and drug policy. So that's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think it's a really fascinating uh, rabbit hole that you've jumped down. I want to learn more about it all the time. Right. We've got, we've had, we've had some really, really fantastic um, guests here on the pod also as a result of your, your, uh, your work and specifically the the drug research focus, I think is like completely underserved and under, under discussed. Do you know the university of Santa Cruz has a Grateful Dead archivist librarian. I do um, know that. Yeah, I remember seeing that job, and it's like, oh, this would be great. You know, it's like, but I just don't like the dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, How do you feel about fish? <laughs> same. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing the job application, and, and there was it like in bold, and it's like, must possess a master's in library and information science. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is one of those intersections where you're trying to get somebody who has the skill set for archives. And then also somebody who's a fan, because I know that there are people who are just like, I could do this, you know, and they're like, you know, I, but it's like finding that intersection, that person is like, you would have to be, like a fish or a, like a, a grateful deadhead and the librarian. And you just, your job is listening to hours and hours of, you know, people's cassette tapes from rando shows over the years. And it's like, that's gotta be like, that's somebody's fucking dream job right there. I don't know. Yeah. Not mine. Maybe, Maybe for fish. Mine either. But yeah, but it's like, <laughs> but that, that, that job exists. I find that fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, there's really, there was a recent, they were looking for somebody who had a history in hip hop for the 50th year, the 50th anniversary of the birth of hip hop at the uh, the Seattle Mopop, the Museum of Popular Culture. It used to be, yeah. But it's like stuff like that. There's all kinds of awesome rabbit holes you can go down with this job, I think. Yeah, yeah. I am needing to rabbit hole to a new job soon, I think, so. We can cut that all, all the librarian talk out, but no, no, no what, what, whatever. This <laughs> We're just is, jamming. This is interesting shit. Although I will say, we probably you'll have to edit your show. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we probably. I, um, but I I think I feel like we we've covered a lot of ground today. Yep, and we a lot. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you, Steph, for giving us so much of your time and experience and wisdom. And um, sharing like just so much of your journey, because I I think that this, you know, an experience like yours in the military is not one that most people know about or talk about, you know, and um, 
And also, you know, the truth and recruitment work that you do, that I do, that a lot of people, we, a lot of other veterans, you know, do is um, work that's always, you know, in demand. <clears throat> and we, I would like to just sort of like amplify that yeah. to mm-hmm. any veterans who are out there who are listening, who aren't already doing it, to get involved somehow, if you, if you are at all inclined. Courage to, to resist. Veterans for Peace, Courage to Resist. We are not, not your, your soldiers. soldiers. Yeah. Um, you know, I know the American Friends Service Committee, the Quakers, they were funding it for a mm-hmm. while in some places. Um, Center for Conscience the War, GI Rights Hotline. Yeah. There's all different ways to get involved with just sharing your experience. Like you don't have to politically proselytize to anybody. Mm-hmm. No. Literally just share your experience and uh, answer people's questions because there's not enough of us out there doing it to, you know, kind of balance out the hordes of military recruiters that are, that are essentially like part of every community and um, that are talking to kids as young as elementary school on a regular basis. Um, You know, we're not, and they're not our enemies, you know, they're just people just like us. I've gotten very mad at them before, but they're just people who've also been, you know, sucked into the pyramid schemes. So yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I really fucking appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you. You know what? I, I feel genuinely like this is the part where I feel kind of sad and self-reflective. Like I, I haven't been doing this because, you know, I did do this for a while and then I dropped out and was like, I'm just going to go do my life. Right. I'm going to figure out my life, become a librarian and whatever. And I guess the thing, my regret is that I didn't start doing this sooner is like uh, talking to you and talking to Rose Adele Duca and feeling like, God damn it. This is, this is the same experience that I had. And it's like an ounce of prevention. Like I should have been talking about this, like to prevent, like, this is one thing you can never know, right? You don't know what your influence is. You just hope that maybe you set something free in the world and it hit with someone. And, but it breaks my heart to think that there are other kids that are going through this. Like, I just, I know better than to try to talk someone out of it because it's like, but it's just, uh, letting them know that you'll be there for them on the other side. And yeah. I just, I'm sorry that you went through all the shit that you went through. I'm sorry. Every time a young person enlists, that's like, man, I should have said something, you know? Well, I mean, we can't, we can't take that responsibility for ourselves. I have to, I, I mean, I feel like I have to hear that from people too regularly. Like we, we can't take on all the responsibility, you know, we we're essentially like, you know, it's like we're sucking water from a vat out with a straw. Mm-hmm. You know, we're you know, we're trying to just do what we can to to help, you know, as many people as we can and trying to help them have alternatives. But, you know, we can only do what we can do. We have to take care of ourselves and you know, part of taking care of each other is taking care of ourselves, I think. So Yeah. And I did do some research and I mean, it sounds like you went through a lot of like pushback and, you know, threats and things like that. Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. People could be real nasty. So I think it's understandable that you would need to like step back and, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Do something good like librarianship, you know? Yeah. I'm at this place now where it's like even 
as scary as things are and volatile, I just feel like it's so real. It's so live right now. Like I can't, you cannot be silent anymore. We're, there is no neutral, right? No. Correct. Can't there stay no neutral, neutral on a moving train. Moving train. Howard's in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Howard's in. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever I sort of get lost in the weeds, that's a something to check back on, on reading that book. Um, it's about living your values, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Oh, yeah. And that is what gives me hope. You know, to to try to end on an up note here, I yeah. think yes. it gives me hope to be surrounded by people living their values and who are encouraging me to live mine and supporting me as I live mine and not letting me like just shout into the void and wait to be hung up on. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Librarian oh. on, Sarah. Do Yay. it. I shall. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you're in a, a, a university environment because I find it now like all the stuff that's going on with, you know, um, public libraries and school libraries and the the censorship and stuff. I'm just like, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Just just another thing. Right. Just another thing that's like indicative of the culture. So, yeah, keep on doing what you do. Yeah, we do a big like band books week like event mm-hmm. every year, and yeah, it's like fucked up for sure. <laughs> yeah, like just mm-hmm. another thing, another just challenge. Live your live in your values, man. Just do it. Yeah, gotta gotta do it. <laughs> what else can you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, let's. I think we could probably we could probably go down this rabbit hole for hours. And yeah, if there's any um, books or whatever that you want to like oh, yeah. reference to um, to folks, we can put that in the show notes and all that stuff. Because yeah. I know we we brought up a couple things already. Um, but yeah, um, thank you for doing this. Yeah, I know there's thank a lot you. of work that goes on after this too. So hey. thank you. Like, yeah, no, thank you. I'm just glad that we have the ability to have these conversations and would love to have you back on. I'm the, our guest speaker on this episode, as all future episodes, is going to be my heater in my furnace apartment. Fairies. <laughs> furnace fairies, the gremlins. Yeah, big, that's the, the furnace like, elementals. They're like, y'all have talked enough. <laughs> yeah. Go get a we, drink. We should listen to them, yes. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging with us. Hi, Sarah. I hope you yeah. have. Thanks for sharing your afternoon with us. For sure. Yeah. Thanks, What the Folk fam, for hanging with us and listening to this fun and exciting and maybe depressing, but also hopeful <laughs> conversation with Stephanie Atkinson. And uh, she doesn't have a website, uh, but if you Google her, Stephanie Atkinson, War Resister, yeah. you'll find all kinds of great. Uh, information. Yeah, meet me at courage to resist.org. Mm-hmm. That's another one. She's also an illustrious member of the board of directors of <laughs> Veterans for Peace and, um, you know, is just, just a total badass. So we'll, Thanks, yeah. So we'll, we'll put up links and, uh, to some of her writing and, uh, yeah, we're, we're just really happy to have the chance to keep having conversations like this. Totally. Just a little
Co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Sarah is based on the native lands of Arapaho, Cheyenne, Ute, and Ocheti Shakoan tribes known as Denver, Colorado. Joy is based on the native lands of the Cowlitz, Clackamas, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians, known as Portland, Oregon. Our featured guest on this episode has been Stephanie Atkinson, and featured music has been If You Ain't Cheatin', You Ain't Tryin', and Just a Little Cog by Joy Damiani. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, don't let the apocalypse get you down.